0: Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Mo Money Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Morehouse. Thank you so much for joining me on this wonderful Wednesday day. And thank you so much to those of you who have left me some really cool iTunes reviews. I read them over the holiday break and they really, really made my holiday. Um, and, because you're awesome and left me a review, I'm going to give you guys or girls a special shout out at the end of this episode. So make sure to check out the whole episode or if you want, you just skip to the end whenever do what you got to do. But I'm going to give a shout out to you. And if you want to get a shout out on a future episode, make sure to leave me an iTunes review. I am very excited to introduce my next guest. I actually met her this past fall at the Canadian Personal Finance Conference. Her name is Robin Tobe. She's a financial consultant, a public speaker, and she's also the author of the book, A Parent's Guide to Raising Money Smart Kids. Part of the reason I really want to have her on the show because I thought that would be such a great topic to talk about, raising kids, teaching them about personal finance, something that I don't think we all necessarily think about when we think about having a family, but super, super important. So without further ado, here's the show. Thank you, Robin, for joining me on the show today. I really appreciate it. Welcome. Very excited to be here. Great. Um, It was so nice uh, meeting you and listening to you speak at the Canadian Personal Finance Conference this year. And so I'm super excited that you're on the show because I am super interested because you are an expert when it comes to finance, but also specifically personal finance in terms of, you know, family and kids, which is something that uh, I haven't really, you know, I don't have kids. So I haven't really thought too much about in my life, but I think that's Y- your book, uh, A Parent's Guide to Raising Money Smart Kids, is something that, you know, I just kind of skimmed through before just looking at lots of the chapters. I'm like, I think everyone should read this book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm like, I really wish kind of my parents had something like this. And I definitely know I'm going to take some lessons like this when I do eventually plan to start a family. I'm still in the planning to start a family, right. not, you know, far off from now. But you have some really great tips. But before we kind of jump into that, I want to get a little bit of an idea of who you are. How did you get started in uh, the finance world? So um, I went to university in Toronto and I did my BCom
1: mm-hmm. and, um, at U of T. And I, right after I graduated, I went into, what at the time, what was the CA program, so the Chartered Accountancy Program. And uh, I always liked numbers, analysis, finance, that kind of stuff. And I like Mm -hmm. the idea of getting a professional designation. So I went to work for one of the big firms at the time, which was KPMG. Mm -hmm. And I spent a number of years in public accounting. Um, I ended up working as a specialist in income tax. But when I decided that that wasn't where I wanted my career to go, um, I left public accounting and worked at one of the clients I had worked on uh, as an in-house VP finance and administration. So I did that for a little while. And then I worked on the trading floor at Citibank Canada in structured finance, which was derivatives, marketing and sales. Mm -hmm. And so I had a lot of different experiences professionally. And um, I have two children myself and my kids are now in university. They're 18 and 20. Mm -hmm. And because I was You know, an accountant and a finance person, I always felt really comfortable in the area of money and talking to them about money and um, teaching them about money, but uh, a lot of parents don't feel that way, Uh, even if they feel like they don't have the knowledge or the time or they're not good at it themselves. So... um, Long story short, CPA Canada, which is the governing body for accountants in this country, they decided that they wanted to um, do something to help Canadians become more financially literate. And a lot of organizations felt that financial literacy was important, especially after the financial crisis in 2008. Um, You know, they just wanted Canadians to um, have the knowledge, skills, and confidence to make responsible financial decisions throughout their lives, and a lot of Canadians didn't feel well-equipped to do that. So mm-hmm. CPA Canada did some research, and what they found was that 78 um, 78- percent of parents surveyed had tried to teach their kids about money, and of those, two-thirds didn't feel that they had been particularly successful, and more than half didn't even know what information they needed. So, wow. they decided they wanted to focus their first Uh, financial literacy efforts on children or on parents and helping parents teach their kids Mm -hmm. so they um they approached me about writing this guide to help parents teach their kids about money and again because I um I had kids myself and I was working in financial literacy um you know I had a couple of clients that I was creating content for and um I felt that this was an interesting project, um, mm-hmm. and even though I had never written a book before um, and had never really thought about writing a book, mm-hmm. it, was, it sounded like a great challenge, and it sounded like a very worthwhile uh, project, as I said, because so many parents needed help with this, and this was an area where I felt really comfortable
0: Mm -hmm. myself Mm -hmm. absolutely and what i really like about this book in particular is um i mean there's a lot of finance books out there and i've I've read a ton of them but this is it's very simple it's you know this is what you do and i like that you break it down by age Mm -hmm. so it's not just kind of a blanket if you if you have kids this is what you should talk to them about because you know kids at different stages in their lives when they're, you know, you know, a young child or Mm. a preteen or a teenager, there's different things that you need to teach them. So I was thinking maybe we can kind of start off with, um, you know, what kind of tips or advice you would give parents or people that are thinking about eventually starting a family, um, Mm -hmm. when dealing with younger kids. Cause that's something that, you know, even me, I'm like, huh, do you, I money wasn't really a concept in my brain when I was very young. I had a little idea about it just mm-hmm. from, you know, getting, you know, a little bit of money for my birthday or whatever and buying some candy, but that's kind of it. So mm-hmm. what kind of things would you teach someone in kind of that age range?
1: So the young kid, I mean, as you mentioned, the book is divided into four. Well, there's five chapters. The Mm -hmm. first chapter really focuses on parents and how important it is for them to be good financial role models for their kids. And the best way to be a good financial role model is to try and get your own financial house in order. So you can lead Mm -hmm. by example. So, that's really how I set the stage. And then I do focus a chapter for each age category, starting with young kids, five to eight, sort of, then preteens, teens, teens, and young adults. So the age category that you just asked me about, the young Mm -hmm. kids, um, really with them, I mean, with all stages, you want to make sure the information you're sharing is age appropriate Mm -hmm. and relevant. And relatable for them. So at this age, you know, they're really they're quite young. Some may have expressed an interest in money. They may start asking questions. Uh they may actually start asking for things, especially if they've started going to, you know, preschool or daycare and they're around kids, other kids with stuff. Mm-hmm. That might spark an interest. But um at this age, you want to make it fun. So I you know, I tell parents that they can play counting games with coins and bills because in Canada mm-hmm. our money's actually kind of cool <laughs> yeah it is a little different like especially it's colorful and you know now the, the like the paper money is not even like paper it's that cool polymer mm-hmm. and it's clear in places like it is really cool when you think about it and then even the coins like the loonies and the toonies are interesting mm-hmm. and and all the different things on the, the the other coins like the quarters and nickels and dons are really cool so you can start with just playing you know counting ga- games and making change and that and then. Another thing I like to do is to point out things that your kids can relate to at that age, like an apple or a banana or a cupcake or an ice cream, and talk about mm-hmm. how much those things cost relative to one another. And then like mm-hmm. how many of these types of coins would it take to buy that. So they get a feel for, you know, what value you get for money and relative value. But always in terms that they can relate to and that are from their own world.
0: I like that. I, I think it's also really just a great idea to be so open about money kind of right away and not wait until they're a teenager to like, okay, now we're going to talk about money. Because sometimes, you know, it's a bit harder to get into that um, at that age. Or even, I mean, I know people my age that are just starting to get into it and it's it's not easier the later you start. Well, that's the whole idea is to start early um, Mm -hmm. and lay this foundation
1: because the concepts are pretty much the same. It's just the context changes as you get older and your kids mature. Um, but really, you're talking about with money, first you have to earn it. And mm-hmm. then you you have choices you can either save, spend, donate, or invest, and pretty much that stays the same throughout your life in a way yep, um, yep. but the way that actually looks and manifests is different for a five year old or an eight year old than it is for a teenager or even a university student so that's really how I try to structure the book so within each of those chapters for this for the ages of mm-hmm. kids, I tackle those five key topics: earn save, spend donate and invest and mm-hmm. um, with you know even little kids you think oh you know they're not really earning money but they do seem to you know they get money from it could be birthday gifts or holiday guests or it could be the mm-hmm. tooth fairy or even allowance exactly. which we can mm-hmm. talk about a little bit yes. so like as soon as they have some money of their own then they're it's a good time to talk about those different choices and one tool that I like to share with to tell parents about is this multi-slotted peak piggy bank that I have seen and it's just like a regular looking piggy bank but instead of one big compartment it has four compartments and you know for save spend share and invest and it just makes those choices very tangible at that age that's actually a really smart idea I've never heard of
0: something like that I wish I, like I had idea. yeah
1: I wish I had <laughs> created it believe me it's great you can buy them at mastermind every every time I speak to parents I bring I bought one and I bring it with and it's like a bright red clear piggy bank and and. The first question when I take questions is always where can I get that piggy bank? <laughs> so you can get I it at that. Mastermind
0: and it is and it's a great gift like it's a really cool little little tool. Yeah. Okay, so we kind of covered young kids. For the next group is that the preteens? Yeah, so preteens would be kind of like 9 to 12ish. Mhm. And so at that point they're not really earning they're earning a bit more as the um uh, you know, compared to being a young ch- child, yeah, like and maybe the, you just maybe odd uh,
1: jobs or, you know, like snow shoveling, dog walking, babysitting type of things. Exactly. Jobs. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I know for myself, yeah, when I was a preteen, that was kind of my first experience with money and even, even babysitting. Like I remember taking the babysitting course and being really, that you is- know, thinking of it like, is it, oh, I'm, I'm starting a business yeah. kind of thing. And you have to figure out your rates I and, know. you know, what are you going to do with the money? It's, it's kind of an interesting thing. And it was it's something that intro. I kind of just, hmm Exactly. It's a great intro. I always, yeah, babysitting is the best, I think, for preteens. So yeah. Um, what do you kind of focus more on for that age range? Is it more, you know, okay, you are kind of getting more money. What should you do with it? Yeah. Well, again,
1: you still have the same four choices, but at this stage, you know, I, I can't imagine too many 12-year-olds, well, maybe some, but, you know, still using piggy banks. Like at that stage, yeah. um, you know, you're probably, going to go to the bank and open up a youth account. Mm -hmm, And, you mm -hmm. know, that's a special type of bank account for young savers where, um, you know, they can earn a a little bit of interest on their deposits, but there's also no fees on those accounts Mm -hmm. and they get a debit card. So that can be a really, you know, exciting kind of rite of passage for like an older preteen. Mm -hmm. And it teaches them about you know, about, you know, why the, what the bank does and what it has to offer versus keeping your money at home in a piggy bank. So you can talk about security and safety and the convenience of using, you know, a debit card and that kind of those types of things can be teachable moments at that age. Um, mm-hmm. But also at this age, they are sort of getting out in the world a little bit on their own. Especially mm-hmm. a twelve-year-old, maybe grade seven, they might go out for lunch once a week. Yeah. Uh, they're spending more time with their friends and stuff. So it's you know, these this is the stage where it's important for them to um, have some money of their own, so they understand like when they're spending, what it feels like to spend money, Um, you know, it's really easy to spend other people's money. But when it's your own, whether you've received it through an allowance or through, you know, earning it, it's still a lot harder to spend when you've worked hard for it. Um, Mm -hmm. So that is That is a, you know, critical stage where they're out doing more things. Um, You know, this is a a time, too, where they're probably exposed to a lot of media and advertising. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, they may be experiencing peer pressure. So you want to sort of help them become media savvy and also sort of help them put things in
0: perspective as to the difference between needs and wants. No, that's so, a good point yeah. you bring up because I just like had a flashback to <laughs> me as a preteen and um, starting to, you know, be at school, middle school and see that, you know, people started wearing different types of clothes hey, and yeah. you kind of like, oh, you know, there's I remember like back when I was in middle school, which is, you know, a while ago, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the in a Jean was uh, flared jeans, and uh, and everyone's like, oh, you know. I remember talking to my mom. I'm like, I need flared jeans. They're the cool jeans to have. And mom's like, no, they're a trend. They're going to go away. And they didn't. They lasted like 15 years.
1: <laughs> Your mom called that one wrong.
0: Yeah, she did. But, you know, that's when you kind of just start recognizing, huh, okay. And and you also start recognizing some of your your peers, your friends have a bit more money than you or or you have more money than them. And there's that whole kind of thing going on too. Yeah,
1: so I think that's, that i think it really you're right i think in middle school is when that really starts so mm-hmm. i think the whole needs versus wants conversation is really really crucial so you know needs being the must-haves for survival like food and shelter and you know nutritious food and then wants being the nice to haves, so mm-hmm. you know going out with your friends or going out to eat or you know fashionable clothes or like you said the latest sort of trendy jeans mm-hmm. but um you know, kids have sometimes have trouble distinguishing between the two needs mm-hmm. and wants. And a lot of it is because of of media, which tries to convince us that our wants are really our needs. And, yep. um, you know, it's even confusing for us as parents or adults. Yeah, absolutely. This, right. It's, <laughs> we're living in like an instant gratification world. So it's really important for kids even kids that age to learn to set goals Mm because setting goals teaches delay gratification. So even if it's like a really, you know, something really attainable and um, like a small goal at first, some kind of a savings goal to work towards Mm -hmm. um, is really
0: an important lesson to teach at that, at that stage absolutely. No, I think that's good. So um, we'll hop on over to teenagerhood because there's also after that, uh, there's some topics in your book that you talked about and you you mentioned it earlier allowance that I really want to get into. But um, uh, so when you're a teenager, I feel like this is, you know, you're almost an adult and you're almost like, I, you know, remember being a teenager and I'm like, Oh, why am I not old enough? I want to, you know, be an adult. You feel like you're almost ready for that kind of next step and you might have a job. That's when I started working when I was 15 and, and do? then I also started thinking about uh post secondary education because yeah. I had to pay my own way through school so I had to really start I, I took money way more seriously than I'm sure most teenagers did what but was it's your, also um, I think teenage job Oh gosh I had several <laughs> Um my first job was a seasonal job during wintertime at the Gap Yeah Um and uh The second job after that I worked at A and W for two years as a cashier. Yeah, those pretty typical teenage jobs. Yeah, typical jobs. But I will say, honestly, anyone who works in fast food, like you learn a lot of really handy skills. Like that was probably one of the most stressful jobs I've ever had. (laughs) I'm sure. You do learn a lot. Like those jobs are really like life skills jobs. Oh wow. For sure. Yeah. But it, it did ultimately help me pay for um, you know, my first year of university so and I I started learning how to budget and save just because I kind of had to out of necessity because I otherwise I didn't really know I never read a book about anything like that I just kind of figured it out yeah so
1: you so you brought up the first point which is like this is the stage where you're getting your first real job so before Mm -hmm. you might have had these odd jobs but now you you know at 16 you can usually get hired and most kids end up working restaurants retail um the kinds of things that you described. Yep. So that hasn't changed a lot. So, um, you know, one of the things you want to talk to your kids about at that stage when they're working is their paycheck because, mm-hmm. um, you know, their gross pay, their hourly wage or salary may not be um, the same as what they take home because there's exactly. deductions for, you know, taxes and things like kind pension plan and employment insurance. So it's good to make sure that they understand that because that stuff can be very confusing. Mm -hmm. Um, And also at that age, you're not making a lot. So really you shouldn't be taxable and you should try to make sure your employer doesn't take taxes off. Um, Mm -hmm. That way you'll just, you know, at least you won't have to wait to get that money back when you file your tax return. You know, you can get it up front. So. Um, that's important. And then, as you said, um, that's sort of where you really begin to understand kind of how hard it is to make money. And when you yes. have <laughs> a goal, like going to university, which can cost if you're going out of town and living away, mm-hmm. uh, like $20,000 a year, including tuition, you know, that's a lot of money to make. And you really do have to sort of start putting yourself on a budget because uh, mm-hmm. it's so easy to spend.
0: You know, you're oh, so even, easy. Yeah,
1: because this is even like you're you know, you're, now you're in your teenage years, you're in high school, you're more social, you're going out more than you were in middle school, you're doing more things and everything seems to cost more. So it's, uh, it's really important to start learning how to budget at that stage and keep track of your spending.
0: Yes, which I think, I don't think I ever did. Yeah. <laughs> keep track of my spending. I don't think that was something I learned until I was living on my own. Right. <laughs> I really wish I did it earlier. But. And,
1: and maybe there weren't as many tools
0: uh, back yeah. then as there are now that are make it a little easier yeah and and that you know you bring up a great point. There are so many awesome tools out there, whether it's an app or a website or just resources out there and it's so easy, you could just google it and you'll figure it out, yeah, whereas I mean, I don't know if, I don't remember googling when I was a teenager, so
1: well, yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly how old you are, but I for sure didn't
0: yeah <laughs> so
1: um but now there are like lots of as you say apps that make it um much it just takes a lot of the drudgery out of keeping track of your of your spending, especially if you're using like electronic debit and credit cards. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really easy to track, but it's only, you know, it's only by tracking that you really know where your money's going. And that's kind of the first step to having a budget is kind of knowing where you're actually spending money now. So, you know, even teenagers, like if they're living at home, they're not going to be having a highly complicated budget. Like it's pretty simple, you know, Mm -hmm. just a few line items, but you know, those things are pretty key to keep an eye on and control over, um, especially as I, like, as you mentioned, if you are saving up for post-secondary education.
0: Mm -hmm. Another thing that just kind of crossed my mind was when I was, uh, in high school, I, um, you know, I had a job and I was pretty, I I think I've always been pretty open about the topic of personal finance. I think that was just something that always really interested me. Mm. But lots of my peers weren't, and never really talked about money, and they just they also thought it was kind of a taboo subject. Do you think this is something that you know how this would you approach country? this i think it is As yeah. a, if you're like an, a teenager, I think you're still yeah, you don't really talk about talk about money openly anyway
1: yeah, I mean I think well amongst teenagers, hmm, that's interesting I
0: know. uh.
1: I would have to sort of ask around the teenagers that I know, but I think more like amongst parents and kids, it can be taboo that mm-hmm. parents are a little bit uncomfortable talking about this with their kids. Cause they think that they're going to get these questions that they don't want to answer. Like, are we rich or how yeah. much is our mortgage? Or how much money do you make mom? So, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and then if you, you know, if you feel like you're not doing well uh, personally with the way you're managing your money, it's, something you probably don't want to talk about you want to avoid talking about so it becomes taboo. or if your family is wealthy or you know is well off and has means it can be taboo as well because some Mm -hmm. parents don't want their kids to know how much money they have and they don't want you know Mm -hmm. want it to sort of um you know dilute their ambition or their drive and stuff so it can be taboo like for so many reasons but unfortunately that's not really good for the kids because studies have shown that parents, um, who are most successful teaching their kids about money talk about it with them. So you really mm-hmm. should try not to avoid it. And again, like peer to peer, again, like you said, it could be a little awkward if yeah. you're not in the same. You also don't
0: want to offend the other party. So, yeah.
1: Like if you do have more money than your friends or you have less, those little things, they, they can become kind of barriers and they can become awkward. But, um, I think that there's so much like that you can learn from your friends and the way you know, either things that they do well with money or the way they or things they don't do well, the mistakes they make. So it's always good I find if you can share from people mm-hmm. going through what you're going through. I find there's always so much learning there, but I don't know how open kids feel about that now.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully they'll just, you know, discover some awesome personal finance blogs and they'll find like yeah. people that are open to talking about money. And that's it's kind scary. of maybe a, yeah. a first step, you know? And I think too, like when they're
1: a little older, like I mentioned, mine are both in university. they both are renting apartments and with, mm. with roommates. And I think that they have to be fairly open about their finances because, mm-hmm. you know, you want to make sure the person you're living with uh, you know, isn't going to stiff you with yep. with, that, with the bill or the rent or something. And, you know, you sort of have to make, you have to communicate openly about what you're spending on things that you're sharing. Like if you are sharing groceries or, you know, if you're splitting utilities, like you kind of have to be a little transparent in that situation. So that's a time where I think kids are talking about money and what, you mm-hmm. know, what their budgets are. And if their parents are helping, how much help they're getting, how much they're doing on their own. I think they know. That's my impression from talking to the kids and their friends, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Okay, so let's um, jump into some uh, of kind of my favorite topics from your book. So let's, yeah, let's first talk about allowance because that's something I've always been – kind of conflicted about, like, I, I just kind of grew up thinking it wasn't something that was a good thing. And it's probably because I was always a bit, um well, I never got one, obviously. And I was always a bit jealous of people who did. Yeah. And whenever I talked to my, you know, when I was younger and asked my parents like, oh, why don't I get a, an allowance? But, you know, my friend down the road does, they'd say, oh, well, you know, we just expect you to help around the house to help the family and we're not going to pay you for that. Right. But we do provide you know, all of your necessities and there you go. And it's true. I never, you know, went without, but I always kind of like, well, but still it would be nice. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, growing up, all you know, after that, when I kind of think in terms of like, if, you know, me and my husband eventually have family, I'm like, will we have, you know, given allowance to our children? I'm still not sure whether it's a good idea because I think I'm afraid that I'd spoil them, I guess.
1: Well, it's, you raise a whole bunch of issues, which, um, make this topic a little bit um, controversial, so to speak. So, mm-hmm. like, some families do, um, you know, give their kids an allowance, and some of them do tie it to chores, and mm-hmm. they do want their kids to sort of earn their allowance and understand what that feels like. And then there's families like yours that say that chores should be done out of a sense of family responsibility, and I kind of agree with that. I feel like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a lot of work to run a household, and Everyone should contribute, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It shouldn't fall on one person. So, but I also think that kids need to experience handling money, managing mm-hmm. money, spending it, saving it, all those things. And, and sometimes, you know, you can't always just count on gifts and, you know. Yeah. Like you mm-hmm. sort of need some kind of steady flow to be able to make those choices that we talked about earlier, save, spend, et cetera. So mm-hmm. I feel like an allowance really is a great money management tool. It doesn't have to be a lot and mm-hmm. you can still leave open the door to uh, your kids um, doing extra paid chores for money, whether for you or for neighbors, if you want mm-hmm. them to earn it. But I really think if you don't give them some little bit of an allowance, you um, E- then either you're just paying for them on their behalf and then they ne- never really learn because again they're spending right. someone else's money like at least if you give it to them they'll feel more of a sense of accountability to the money mm-hmm. so I feel like you're just depriving yourselves and them of an opportunity to really learn and make mistakes when the stakes are low and it doesn't really count if you make a big like if you make a mistake when you're 12 <laughs> you yeah. know how
0: big a mistake is it going to be right yeah you make a, so what um, sorry. I, I was just curious. And when it comes to an allowance, when's a good age to introduce that to
1: well, you a can child? Start at like five or eight, even with young kids. And you know, a rule of thumb is you could pay them anywhere from fifty cents to a dollar um, per week per year of age. So you know, your five-year-old could get five dollars or two fifty a week, and mm-hmm. um, Or every other week whatever you feel is appropriate and in line with you know your family's means and your budget you know in general and you could give them you know just let's say if it's just two dollars and fifty cents every other week at least they're going to have some money and they can put a little bit into saving and a little bit towards spending you know because at that age anything they want to buy isn't going to be terribly expensive Mm -hmm. so it can add up and um You know, it's once they get older that the allowance really needs to be based on a budget and what they're actually spending.
0: And when, you know, say you – I'm kind of just like, okay, what if I have a kid and then, you know, we introduce the allowance – And then at a certain point, we're like, we don't want to do this anymore as parents. I feel like you almost can't do that unless, you know, it's like, well, you're old enough, you're a teenager, you have your own job, so that's how you're going to make your money. Is that kind of a transition period? I think so. Because, I mean, I think at that point, you
1: really do have to sit down with your kids because some parents will kind of cut them off once they're old enough to work and say, like, you know, you're on your own. Um, I I mean, most of the parents I talk to are still giving, you know, They are sort of making sure their kids aren't going without and Mm -hmm. but there's like the difference again between needs and wants. So I think at that stage, if your kid, if they have a lot of demands and want a lot of things, I think sometimes parents just say, you know what, I'm giving you this and that's it. And anything beyond that, you're going to have to work for that.
0: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. OK, another topic I want to discuss um, was matching savings, which is something I, yeah. a concept I don't think I, I really heard too much about. So do you want to explain a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So that's just a way to encourage your kids to save by offering to match whatever they come up with. So uh, suppose they want to buy, um, you know, let's say it's an iPod and. Let's say they're a little bit older, like, you know, 13 or 14, and they have some kind of a little job and a little bit of allowance, and it's something that's really important to them. So you might say to them, you know, if the iPod, I don't even know how much they are now, but let's say it's $100, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you can come up mm-hmm. with $50, then, you know, we would be prepared to match the, the, that $50 with another 50 to help you come up with the money you need for your goal. So okay. it's just like the way in in you know with a, in the workplace that um, a lot of employees offer matching mm-hmm. programs for savings or for RSP and that kind of thing. So it's just that opportunity to take advantage of kind of free money. Yeah, you know? I like that. Actually. Yeah, like it's yeah. Hard to turn, you know nobody wants to turn down free money, and it's just a good way. If your kid's having trouble, you know, making it happen, that might just be the thing that pushes them to save. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a really, you know, interesting tactic to mm-hmm. motivate. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that uh, was mentioned in your book was something called SMART goals. Mm-hmm. So I thought it's an acronym, obviously, yes. but uh, so w- what are SMART goals? So SMART goals are specific,
1: measurable, achievable, realistic, and time frame. And I didn't make this up. This is a, <laughs> a framework that's out there.
0: Okay. <laughs> uh, in a lot, I've
1: heard it in a lot of different contexts, but it can certainly be applied to financial goals. So the idea is, you know, if you're going to set a goal, kind of make it as, uh, you know, a smart goal. So as, as specific, um, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time frame as you can so that, you know, you increase your chances of succeeding and reaching your goal. And in my book, I have some, you know, an example um, for like a kid it could be something like um let's say a high school kid saving Mm -hmm. up for a trip uh to europe or you know somewhere traveling around after they graduate Mm -hmm. and like specifically they're going to need three thousand dollars by this you know the beginning of the summer and then their action plan would be to go online and research the cost of the trip and figure out you know how much they can make if they work whatever job they're working like you know what would it take? How many hours, how many weeks or whatever to, to, to make that $3,000? Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, it forces you to say, to look and see if you have enough time to achieve that goal when you want to. And, um, you know, and, and who who can help you with that? Like, who can you enlist to help you reach your goals? So maybe mm-hmm. you need to sit down, talk to your parents. Um, maybe there's like other ways to cut the budget, for example, like, you know, Airbnb now there's yeah. so many different ways to travel that are less expensive. So just like being creative about that. And, um, you know, if you're finding that, that th- the goal is maybe not so realistic, you know, trying to find ways to make it more so.
0: Yeah. No, I, and I think that's a great thing that if you teach your kids early, that's something that they can apply throughout their lives. Cause you know, I'm just thinking, you know, when you're an adult, you're gonna have like a a wedding. How are you going to yeah. afford that? That's a big goal and you're gonna have to you're gonna have a date for that and um or buying a house. So those are I think that's a great way that uh you can, you know, set introduce them up. introduce it early. Up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. So the last topic I wanted to talk about, cause this is something pretty passionate about is, um, paying for post-secondary education. Again, this is something that, um, you know, I really want to go to university because both my parents never, uh, got their bachelor's degrees. And so they made it, um, you know, known that it was very important to, to them, but also for us, um, that we, me and my two sisters went to university and had, you know, that opportunity that they didn't have. And so, you know, we all, you know, um, I graduated, so my older sister and my younger sister has one year left. And uh, yeah, so, which is great. And I I love that experience, but in order to do it, um, you know, because we didn't come from a, you know, super wealthy household and they didn't start in our ESP, um, for us when we were younger, I did have to work and save up and get some scholarships and kind of uh, pay it that way. So did you go out of town or did you stay? No. So because of that, I kind of had limited choices also with universities. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still went to a good university. I went to Simon uh, Fraser University in Vancouver, but, uh, but because I was going to still live at home and then just, you know, take the bus up to school, Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of the only university I can go to because it was the closest one. Right. So there's limitations, but also I learned a lot in that process. And, you know, it felt kind of good to not have stu- I didn't have any um student yeah. loans. So right. there's lots of positives, but I always kind of think, you know, and I talk to my husband about this all the time, when we have kids, I you know, I like the idea that our kids will be responsible for paying a portion of their you know, post-secondary education, but I also definitely want to do the RSP and help them out a little bit as well. Yeah. So it's not so stressful.
1: Or so they have more options or...
0: the More options. Yeah. Exactly. I feel like, you know, it would have been kind of cool to have the opportunity to maybe go to a, a school um, on the East Coast or something like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's such a trade-off because, um, I, I, you know, because you did it one way, you sort mm-hmm. of went, like, it's always, you always have the curiosity about what it would have been like different, you know, how it would have been different Mm -hmm. had you maybe lived out of town. But I think the fact that like, and you know, probably how hard it was just to have the money for tuition and books and living expenses. If you had to rent an apartment and everything on top of that the mm-hmm. debt that you probably would have had to take on because that's oh a lot of money to make in a in a summer or even if you're working during the year it's pretty hard mm-hmm. so I think the trade-off is that you've you graduated with no debt and some people are coming out of university I forget what the average is it's in the 20s like 20 mm-hmm. something thousand yeah um in Canada and that's that's hard
0: to pay off. Like you're starting off your working life and you're already in the hole. So, and you may not find a job right yeah, away because, you know, for me, say. I graduated during the recession. So it took me a while to find that first job. <laughs> right.
1: And imagine if you, and I think as soon, if you had student loans, as soon as you finish school, you have to start paying them back or interest mm-hmm. starts to, you know, it just starts to kick in. So I think that, you made a really good point um, and made a good choice, but you make a good point too. Like if you if you want your kids to have the opportunity to have a different experience, what can you do today to, or when you have kids to help them? And I think the RESP, the Registered Education Savings Plan is, is a great um, choice and tool because as you know, um, not only is the money you put in there growing tax-free, mm-hmm. but the government is going to match... Um, twenty percent of your contributions up to five hundred dollars a year. So that's like free money. Yeah, it's free money. Basically. Yeah, we're talking yeah. about matching up before. This is another mm-hmm. example, but this time from the government. Free money, a twenty percent return essentially, and also when the money comes out, any um, of those that grant money or the income is taxed in the student's hand, and the student's not really taxable usually because of mm-hmm. all these other tax breaks they get. So it's just such a good. You know, if you can afford to save for your child's education, it's doing it with an RESP really is the way to go. And it does give them so many more options, you know, when the, if they do decide to go to post-secondary. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um,
0: because, you know, it's, I think it's just going to get more and more expensive. Well, that and that's part of the reason it's, you know, it was relatively affordable when I went to school. But it was uh, when my older sister, and she's only three years older than me, when she was in university, it was – way more affordable. And then I went to school and she's like, "Oh wow, how much are you paying?" "Wow, I certainly didn't pay that in my first year." I'm like, "Oh my gosh." And it's just climbed and climbed ever since. So, it's, I'm kind of afraid to know how expensive university is going to be, you know. When you're, how, I know, and depending yeah. also on the program because
1: like yeah. like just a BA, like a general liberal arts BA is not is a lot less expensive than let's say if you are in one of the business schools. Mm-hmm. Like even exactly. as an undergrad for for example. So, It's expensive and sometimes you can't avoid, you know, like if that's, if you do decide that's the program you want and it's only offered certain places and you do have to go out of town, like, you know, it is an investment in your future and I'm not saying it's not worth it, but you really need a plan for how you're going to pay that off.
0: Mm-hmm. And is one of the things that um, you think is also important is you're not only just figuring out who's going to pay for school, but also deciding what program makes sense. And I think that's something that I kind of learned the hard way. I don't regret my degree, but I did get a degree in filmmaking, and I'm definitely not a filmmaker. <laughs> um, yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, just, yeah. you know, really uh, showing your kids that, you know, you can do what you want, but maybe look into, you know, really show them the lifestyle that they will get based on the the program that they choose. I
1: almost wish the schools sort of did that, but then it'd be discouraging because, you know, but um, yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think some with universities, some of the programs in the courses are much more practical than others. Some, mm-hmm. you know, are professional, you know, for example, you go into nursing and they you know, mm-hmm. walk out with like a very actionable career right away. Um, some of them are less practical, um, but you are certainly learning and gaining skills and critical thinking and all kinds of growth and maturity happens in university. So, it's not like just such a simple calculation of cost and benefit, but -hmm. I do agree that I think you're, you are making investments. So it behooves you to look at what are the careers where there's growth and opportunities, um, you know, and what's forecast. And there's lots of information about that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. out there, you know, what the hot careers are and where, you know, where people, people are the sectors where people are really hiring and then the ones where there's a big decline and I think yeah like if if you don't have a a safety net with family you know money or cushion Mm -hmm. of any sort then you really have to be practical in your choices but you still have to work within your strengths what your interests are you can't just force yourself to do something that you know that's not you're not suited to or don't like just for the money that's not gonna be sustainable either
0: Mm-hmm. So find something that you're passionate about that also pays well. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> you need that perfect alignment that there's yeah. a market for, you know, that you love, that you're good at, and that there's a market
0: for. Totally. Yeah. Well, thank you so much oh, for joining welcome. me, Rob. And I, I had a blast blessed. talking it to you. It a blast. Me too. Thank you so <laughs> I know. It's like, oh, wow. We're already here. I know. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for joining me. Welcome. And thank you for listening to episode 32. Make sure to check out the show notes at jessicamorehouse.com slash 32 and if you haven't already check out my new website i redesigned it over the holiday break and i'm pretty proud of it jessicamorehouse.com all right now for those itunes shout outs the first one is from Guziki, and uh, they say this podcast is a great resource for Canadian-specific personal finance. I'm finding out about so many new authors and bloggers that are enriching my life. The interviews are easy and fun to listen to. Keep it up! Well, thank you so much. Next one is from S. J. the Great One. Awesome podcast. Jessica does an amazing job getting new and exciting topics each week. I look forward to each episode. They keep my company, keep me company on my long drives for work awesome. Love to hear that. Uh, I got another one from Arethe. Fun to listen to. Worth being on a list to listen to at work. Good advice and shared experiences. Haven't heard anything groundbreaking, but still a thumbs up. Well, you can't win them all, can you? The next one is from Julia Schroeder. Today was the first episode of Jess's podcast I've listened to live. I binge listened to the first 24 in about a week and a half. It's an absolutely fantastic, totally relatable podcast. I loved it listening to Jess's conversations about money, life, and other things, and I'm looking forward to hearing more from her and her awesome guests. Damn, Julia. Thanks. And one last one to wrap it up from Allison Lee 3 You have to subscribe. Following Jessica's financial advice has helped me achieve huge financial goals in my life. So excited for a podcast now. Every episode is awesome, informative, interesting, entertaining, and inspiring. Can't wait for more. Well, I'm just going to go float on my ego cloud right now. Feeling pretty damn good. Thank you so much for leaving me these reviews. It really means a ton for me. And I hope you, if you out there have not given me a review, I would really appreciate it. I just want to know what you think, what you want to hear more of, less of. If there's any guests that you'd love for me to try to get on the show, you let me know. Otherwise, feel free to email me or tweet me. All that info is in the show notes, jessicamorehouse.com slash 32. On that note, see you next Wednesday.